Uh, you can't... You can't... You can't... You can't. Is that better? I feel a bit very echoey. How about that? That's okay, isn't it? You can't have a better introduction to Micah than that, can you? Because Micah declared that although the prophets all around him in the royal courts were, were prophesying for a bribe and they, were, and they weren't listening to God at all, even though they prophesied in the name of the Lord God, he declared that he was full of the Holy Spirit. He's the only prophet, I think, who declared of himself, but I am full of the Holy Spirit. Um, but we have evidence of that from 80 years later that in the time of Hezekiah, when Hezekiah was under stress from, from the threat of foreign invasion from Sennacherib, it was, and although Isaiah was the official and legitimate God-given court prophet, if you like, it was Micah that Hezekiah listened to when he was making up his mind what to do. And he listened to Micah, and because Hezekiah listened and handed himself over to God, God held back his anger and preserved the nation during the reign of Hezekiah. He promised, this will not happen in your time. Although officials and, and, and attitudes and, and, and civic activity of the, and the attitudes of the other people of the nation continued to be influenced by, by foreign gods and foreign influences, because of the righteousness of the king Hezekiah, the nation was saved. But he listened to Micah. Isn't that fantastic? God spoke through Micah. We don't know very much about him. Uh, we do know when he was prophesying. And this, remember, this is just an introduction. It's not the whole of Micah. We know when he prophesied because he was contemporary with Isaiah and his prophetic ministry began at around about the time that that of Hosea was coming to an end. He prophesied during the reign of three kings and during his time as a prophet he saw the fall of the northern kingdom Israel when they were taken into captivity by the Assyrians and continued to warn the, the southern nation of Judah that if they continued in those old northern ways their fate would follow the same would happen to them but he prophesied during the reigns of Jotham Ahaz and Hezekiah it's very difficult to date to to look at these prophets and and figure out when they said what with Jeremiah it's more easy because he has prophecies and we're told it's to this king or to that person. But even Jeremiah, it's though they were carrying a set of loose leaves through the, through the marketplace and the wind blew and he tripped and it all fell on the floor and he picked them up and left them in the order in which they were picked up. When you've got a prophet like Micah who's through three reigns and one of them you know was a good one that God blessed, how do you know when he spoke what and to whom? And then when you think that his ministry continued possibly during 30 years, and we've got what we call seven chapters, that's not great literary output, is it? So you get an insight into these guys. They're prophesying for a long time, but a lot of that time they must be quiet and listening 
are not just shouting the first thing that comes to into their head. They're watching, they're seeing, they're listening to the world, they're listening to God, they're hearing things sometimes. Jeremiah, 80 years later, was often in tears. And Micah, you get the impression, is once or twice, he's just devastated by the things that he's been shown by God. And they're devastated by these things. And then they have to muster the courage, or if I was one of them, I'd have to muster the courage over a long period of time to stand up in the public place and speak to their equivalent of the Archbishop of Canterbury, to speak to their equivalent of Queen Elizabeth II. Do you understand? To speak to their equivalent of our Prime Minister, whose name eludes me for a moment. And uh, history will forget us too. To stand up and speak in those places, words which will be publicly heard and tested when you're speaking to the seats of power is a tough thing. These men, and Micah amongst them, were men of prayer and courage and deep integrity. So there's only seven chapters, but we just have to sit down and say, wow, I think I want to meet this man when I get to heaven and the others, men of God. He has much the same things to say as the other prophets say that we looked at because the nations that he's prophesying to are the same nations, same people, same political problems. Assyria, which during the time of Amos and uh, Hosea appeared to have declined somewhat, was coming back into prominence again. The northern power, uh, seated in roughly the, what we would now call Iraq, but much more extensive. And this northern power was beginning to extend its fingers again and, and laying waste the lands. In fact, when Hezekiah was on the, was on the throne, Sennacherib came as far as Lachish uh, and then nearer and nearer Jerusalem and set siege to Jerusalem and then was sent packing by an act of God. God heard the king's prayer because the king listened to the prophets. So Assyria was in, was in the ascension again, and things were getting tough. Now the other thing we have to understand, that the kings who were reigning at the time of Micah's, Micah's ministry, if we can call it that, um, Ahaz was not a good king. Hezekiah was a good king in the eyes of the Lord, but even Hezekiah got a bit tired of it all towards the end and began to throw allegiances around where actually he shouldn't have done. For me, though for others it might be different, for me the key verse in Micah is Micah 6 verse 8 and it was quoted to us a few weeks ago when we were praying uh, I think we were praying for um, the care of children overseas I'm not quite certain I can't quite remember uh, but it's the verse which says Micah 6 verse 8 he has told you O man oh you got it okay read it for yourself <laughs> And for the podcast, he has showed you, O man, what is good. And what does the Lord require of you? 
to act justly and to love mercy and to walk humbly with your God. Now remember, he's speaking this to the business CEOs of his land. He's speaking it to the politicians. He's speaking it to the kings. He's speaking it to their equivalent of our bishops. Leaders. What is it the Lord requires of you? To act justly, to love mercy, and to walk humbly with your God. Because when the leaders of a nation practice this, if an eldership of a church practices this, then that spreads out into the body. But what God does say is, he says he has an issue with Israel. He has an indictment against them. When it comes to matters of justice, there is only one person, one law, before whom we stand. And that's the law of God. God is the judge of all the earth. It's not my sectarian view. I don't live and I'm not judged by that. I'm not judged by my theology and where that takes me in, 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 in morality and things like that and prejudices. I'm not judged by my own prejudices. We're judged by God and his righteousness. So that actually justice has to do with doing what is right in the eyes of God when we're speaking about biblical justice. Okay. So God has an argument against the leaders of his people in all these different spheres of life and consequently with the people who are following their leaders. So God makes an indictment and the things he finds that are wrong amongst within the nations are idolatry, in other words, they have, although they use the name of the Lord in their worship and the things they do, and perhaps OMG is one of their big phrases, oh my God, there's so much godness around these days. Everyone's oh my God. I've sometimes stopped them and said, who is your God? And they look quite surprised. And I think possibly they haven't got one. So it's just a phrase. But there was so much godness around in the times of Micah. But it was turned to idolatrous practice. So imagine God and the insult he feels when someone does in his name something which is abhorrent. There was the seizure of property. People lying on their beds at night, Micah puts it, dreaming up new ways of making money in the morning and then getting up and going out and practicing their devious ways. Oh, that does sound like some, not, probably not all, but some multinationals to me. There's a failure of civil leadership. He's angry with religious leadership, God, because the prophets will prophesy for a bribe and they will prophesy good if you put bread into their hand. This is what Micah says. Uh, but they won't prophesy good if you don't give them anything. Do you know, 
Just once or twice I've met ministers like that. In Romania, I went, would you believe, just as an observer, to a funeral in a public cemetery. And an Orthodox priest stood at the grave and spoke for half a minute and walked away. And when the crowd was in uproar and chased after him to ask what he thought he was doing, it turned out that the family hadn't paid him enough to do a proper funeral. This kind of stuff was going on in those days. That's an extreme case I've just mentioned. Don't imagine that it's all like that in Romania. And we have a Romanian here. He can correct me later if he wants to. Okay? <laughs> they seem to be very good at putting on religious ceremony. Thousands of sacrifices and rams and big deals. But God hated that because it wasn't an expression of worship. It was an expression of pomp and power and perhaps of manipulation. There were corrupt business practices in the land. There was a violence. And for all these reasons, God has an indictment against the people. So when we read, what is it that the Lord requires of you, O man, but that you act justly, love mercy or kindness, and walk humbly with your God, we expect to find these qualities in God. We should expect to find those qualities in Micah. And God will look for those qualities in us who have received the benefits of his extreme kindness in Jesus Christ. And God is the God of all the earth. And he will act justly. I was on holiday last week. I had a wonderful time. I went to um, Ireland, ostensibly, to see the Giant's Causeway. But among the things that made the deepest impression on me was a trip to Belfast and a trip to Derry. And we saw the wall paintings and the peace wall and went up either side and heard the story from what I, I believe was a very unbiased and brilliant guide putting both sides. And then we went to Derry and saw the wall paintings there. And as we looked at the wall paintings then, our guide said, you're now standing at the spot of Bloody Sunday. Which was an outbreak of gunfire against a civil rights demonstration, which so far as I understand now, was based upon the civil rights movement in America. And I came away saying, if all of this is as I'm told, I'm not very proud of my British status just at the moment. And I can't believe everything, which we already knew, that we hear and read in the media. And there's always more than one side to a story. And justice is no longer as simple as I thought it was. But God is judge of all the earth. And shall not the judge of all the earth do what is right? Which is why I say he's not going to judge according to my sectarian view or my Baptist perspective or my British persona. 
or my business prejudice. God is going to judge according to what is right in his sight, which means that whatever side of a conflict I might find myself on, however hard I might find it, somehow or another I have to do what is right in God's eyes. I worshipped a broadmead during my holiday and they gave me this uh, The Record, their church magazine. And a man called Jack Appleton writes this. Um, he's talking about a television program called Enemy at the Door about um, depicting life in the Channel Islands under its occupation by the German army. He says... He himself was stationed at Army's Southern Command Headquarters where he worked in the intelligence section. Occupied countries usually had their resistant movements, he says, and the Channel Islands were no exception and part of my work was dealing with information coming from them, including the name of islanders who were fraternising with the enemy or collaborating. This information was released incidentally in 2002. I have often wondered, he says, what if a Channel Islander had publicly encouraged the local people to love their enemy? And if forced to do a task for them, had done double the work, how would such a person have been classified? You see, to act justly is not simple, is it? And it's not judged by what side you're on. I find that quite disturbing and challenging. Because the people haven't acted justly, God does act justly when he says that there will be a judgment and the judgment will come from an uncircumcised people and it will be the Assyrians in the north who will sweep down upon them and ultimately carry them off. This happened to uh, the northern kingdom of Israel. But we are to act justly and love mercy. And we find extraordinary mercy in God in Micah. Maybe I'm imagining things here, but he was contemporary with Isaiah. In order to prophesy, Micah would have presented himself at the court. Isaiah, it's widely believed, was a court person. So the two of them will have met. When ministers meet, they share things. This is what the Lord has been saying to me. This is how I see it. How do you see it? I'm certain, therefore, that Isaiah and Micah at some stage must have met their paths crossed and they're talking to one another. Do you know, I was praying and, and have I got this right? God said. And so in Micah, we find, I wonder whether the influence of Isaiah is upon him because somehow or another, by the grace of God, he sees things which are far into the future. That the Jewish interpreters of the prophets themselves, leading up to the time of Christ, 
understood to be messianic statements. So that, for instance, he sees that from Bethlehem, which is least of all the clans, shall come a one who will be ruler of all God's people, God's people. And we quote that every year at Christmas before the birth of, birth of Christ is celebrated. It's, he foresees a king coming who is going to bring justice, not just to the nation, but to the nations. At one point in his prophecy he says, in effect, are you weeping because you don't have a king? Well, they did have a king when he said it, but they weren't to have a king for hundreds of years once they had been overrun by their enemy. You haven't got a king, but I will give you one from ancient of days. I will revive the, the Davidic promise, and I will give you a king, says God through Micah, who is of the Davidic line. And so this brings us all the way through the intervening ages up to the point where Christ is born. And of the Christ, the servant Isaiah said, Behold my servant whom I uphold, my chosen in whom my soul delights. I put my spirit on him, and he will bring forth justice to the nations. And here's gentleness and kindness. I have put my spirit upon him. He will bring forth justice to the nations. He won't cry aloud or lift up his voice or make it heard in the street. A bruised reed he won't break, and a faintly burning wick he won't quench. But will faithfully bring forth justice. He won't grow faint or be discouraged until he has established justice in the earth and the coastlands wait for his law. Micah also speaks of a day when all nations will go up to the, the mountain of the house of God. Was that at the time of Jesus coming? But they're going to be their swords into plowshares my own, I want to put that still in the future because they haven't beaten their swords into plowshares in the mountain of the house of the Lord in our days yet. Yet this Messiah who is to come who will be so gentle and won't quench the burning flags but will bring justice we know has come and is still working and will still accomplish what God has said amongst the nations. We live for that. So sometimes we cry, come Lord Jesus, come and do it. So God loves justice, and Christ intends to bring it among the nations. We are his witnesses of that. And he wants us to be our witnesses of that in the way we operate. When we leave here and disperse for the week and go and sit on our committees and in our shops and teach the children and advise government bodies or whatever we do. We know that in order to restore his people because Micah promises that there will be a restoration of the people even after the judgment has come because God cannot forget his promise to his people he cannot forget his promise to Abraham Isaac 
and Jacob. He will not forget his promise that these people will be witnesses to the nations and that he will restore them. And so, act justly, love kindness, listen to this, the very close of Micah's, Micah's prophecy. Who is a God like you pardoning iniquity? I'm, I'm not reading it properly. There should be a different emotion in this. I was just reading that. Perhaps we could have it up there if you can find it and if you can't. It's the very last verses from verse 19 of Micah. Verse 18. Who is a God like you pardoning iniquity and passing, passing over transgression for the remnant of his inheritance? passing over his transgression. He doesn't retain his anger forever because he delights in steadfast love. He will again have compassion on us. He will tread down our iniquities underfoot. You will cast all our sins into the depths of the sea and you will show faithfulness to Jacob and steadfast love to Abraham as you have sworn to our fathers from the days of old. Now the God who is the God who is the judge of all the earth loves mercy and between the Christ coming and fulfilling ultimately his promise to bring justice to the earth we know there was a cross. I make no apologies for mentioning it every time. So Paul said that he determined to know nothing amongst the Corinthians but Jesus and him crucified. Because in this cross, we have evidence of both the justice of God dealing with sin and evidence of the extraordinary kindness of God ransoming a wicked people, people who have been involved in idolatry, people who have been involved in bad business practice, who have been failures in civil leadership, who have listen to their own hearts instead of God's heart when speaking in God's name. People who try to make a show of their religion and realise they're wrong. People being involved in corrupt business practices. People who have been violent. Christ died for the sin of the world. And therefore there is no sin in any of your lives or the lives of the people with whom you work during the week that is not potentially covered by the blood of Christ which cannot be removed by Jesus and trodden underfoot which cannot be cast into the sea and forgotten there is no sin in the place where you work or the places where you walk which is not covered by the death of the one who died for the sin of the whole world because the whole world includes it. And so he wants us to walk justly, but he wants us to love kindness. And the greatest kindness, the greatest kindness that we can show anyone when a moment is appropriate, is to show them the love of Jesus for the people who around us are in despair and under stress and guilty and faithless and think God has nothing for them and won't be interested in them, and have been caught up in practices of business which they hate, but now, perhaps like you, they've been ensnared by them. Where's the way of escape for this tortured 
mentality of mine, this conscience of mine, between the sin and the bringing of full judgment and justice, there is the death of Jesus. And he simply says, call to me and I will answer you. And I will show you great and mighty things you haven't known. Call to me. Whoever calls on the name of the Lord in this day will be saved. Sins covered, trodden underfoot. Like Micah before Jesus, so us after Jesus. The promise of the Spirit to come into our hearts, to wash us, to cleanse us, to renew our conscience, to, conscience, to unite us with the God of our fathers. To connect us up. God with us. So we're called upon to act justly and to love mercy and to walk humbly with our God. If you want to know what that looks like, look at Jesus. No one has walked humbly with their God like he did. Though before him there was Enoch who walked with God and was not, for he was taken. But just look at Jesus. And I was surprised by the gentleman who preached here last Sunday. I thought he was great. But I was asking God, knowing that I'm preaching this morning, I was asking God, God, give me some more things about walking humbly with you. And that man stood here and said, think of Elijah. Elijah walked humbly with God. God placed him in a cold place and then said, I want you to go to a boiling hot place. And Elijah said, I will go. God took him out of a city and said, I want you to go into a little ravine where only ravens will be there. And he went. And he walked humbly with their God, his God. Now then, are you willing to walk through the door of your office humbly with God tomorrow? Because the greatest ministry this church has outside its building, inside this building we've got this awesome thing which is going on during the week at the cafe, but outside the building there is you. You are the ministry of this church. So can you walk inside your office door tomorrow or onto the shop floor or into the classroom, or to the hospital beds, wherever it is you are tomorrow, can you walk in there humbly with your God and say, despite the pressures of conforming to the policy that prevails, I'm going to do what is right by you today. Even if that means taking the side of one person that everybody else is prejudiced against because the prejudice is unfair. Whatever it may be, are you willing to do that? Because it's to this we're called. This is nothing by comparison with what some of you have to face. In fact, it's trivial. But when I was a new Christian, I had been unemployed, and the DHS gave me a job. And during that time, there were some government strikes because the civil service was at the bottom of the pay scale. Now, when you looked at the pay scale, the civil servants had a, had a just cause, okay? But the government had made a policy that there wouldn't be any increase in any wages 
for a period of time because of the financial difficulties the nation was in. So nobody was getting an increase. But the then-time union leaders in the civil service decided, I believe, to make political play of this and decided to have a series of one-day strikes. Okay? Demanding an increase in wages because they were bottom of the wage scale. And you cannot, you could not argue with that. But what struck me was, on the day of the first one-day strike, we went in for a, a union meeting, we went in for a union meeting before dispersing to strike. And the people in the office where I worked went in with their shopping baskets. So that as soon as they were on strike, they were going on a shopping binge. Because we were in Victoria, not far from the shops. And when I saw that, my heart just failed me. Because we're saying we haven't got enough money, but we're taking a day off work to go shopping. While the people we're working with are people who haven't got any money and won't have any food unless they get their cheque through this week. I broke the strike. I stayed in and I opened all the post and I found the files and then I went home so that those who were still working could send out the cheques to those who had nothing. Now then, I don't know whether I was right or wrong. But my heart said, I cannot go out shopping when these people cannot go shopping and these are the people we're here for. I will have to break the strike. So how do you act justly, love mercy, and walk humbly with your God? Each of us has to make that decision when we get up in the morning. God bless you.